This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. This episode of Doing Time may contain audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who have died and discussion of deaths in custody. First up on the show, we will hear from Nicole Lee, President of People with Disability Australia, about one of the organisation's latest media releases, Days Unnumbered for Restrictive Practices, and basically we'll be speaking about the Royal Commission. PWDA welcomes the release of the Disability Royal Commission's research report's recommendation to eliminate restrictive practices. We will then speak with Ian Rintel, who will give listeners an update on asylum seekers and refugees and some recent rallies that took place. Finally, we will speak with First Nations advocate Jill Gallagher from Vacho about federal court not recognising age pension discrimination, despite Australian government's failure to close life expectancy gap. Proud Waka Waka man Uncle Dennis brought the case in which the federal government faced court for the first time in connection with its failure to close the gap in life expectancy between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and non-Indigenous people. And listeners may recall that we interviewed Nicole Lee some weeks ago now about the anti-trans rally that took place in Melbourne. Nicole is always instrumental in bringing her passion and lived experience to disability issues. She says, For too long, people with disability have experienced violent practices such as seclusion and restraint that is not only a traumatic violation of our human rights, but is also state-sanctioned within current state and territory laws. I now welcome her to the program to speak about this in more detail. Hello, Nicole. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's lovely to have you. Now, Nicole, I'm wondering if you could just give listeners some background and talk about what's been happening and and discuss the media release with us. Uh, Yeah, sure. So the media release um, came out in response to the Royal Commission's um, Commission report on restrictive practice. Um, so the report went into detail around, you know, ways in which people with disability have had their you know, liberty um, taken away from them, whether that be through um, restraints or seclusion, um, the use of um, medications to chemically restrain people or physically restrain people, 
you know, using the environment to stop people from being able to get out of where it is that they're staying. Um, even down to it explored the issue surrounding guardianship and how that's a form of uh, restrictive practice because it takes away people's choices. So essentially what we're talking about here is anything where, you know, somebody is denying somebody freedom of movement, freedom of choice, um, and taking away their choices via, you know, um, um, substitute decision-making versus supported decision-making. You know, it's been, you know, something that we, you know, the disability community has been calling out for a long time and something that this report was very, very strong on um, and strongly worded in that, you know, all forms of restrictive practice, you know, need to be outlawed and, and abolished, including, you know, the environments in which these happen and the laws, you know, that hold those things in place. So the, when we talk about these laws, we're talking about things like, you know, mental health laws, um, guardianship laws um, that take away someone's choices and give over, you know, financial guardianship or power of attorney to somebody else to make choices in their life. So it went into a whole range of things. And for one in particular, you know, guardianship isn't something that normally people conceptualise when you think of restrictive practice, but... It is a form of restrictive practice. It's denying somebody um, the right to be part of and, and be in the decision-making position of their life. Um, and I've heard arguments from people online since that report came out that, you know, that some people need other people to make decisions for them. What about the most disabled out there? Well, I'm here to tell you, even, you know, the most disabled, what, however you want to conceptualise that, is that everybody can have some part in making decisions for themselves, whether it takes somebody a lot longer or it's a much more lengthy and in, 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 and detailed process in which to work out, you know, what is it that this person wants, you know, who has difficulty communicating or we can't communicate with in traditional ways. You know, that there's other countries that are setting up frameworks around how to ascertain from, you know, you know the most disabled, for want of a better word, um, the least capable of being able to communicate in traditional ways setting up frameworks around how to actually work out what is it this person wants, what decisions do they want to make about their lives, and ensuring they're doing everything possible to find out what that is and to ensure that that is then upheld as well. So it can be done. Other countries are doing it. But for some reason in Australia we're not. And the biggest offender, in my opinion, and, um, you know, and something that's happening quite big in Victoria at the moment, is the use of mental health laws against people where substitute decisions are being made in place of supported decisions, where forced treatment, seclusion and restraint is being used against us regularly and half of the time unlawfully as well. You know, it's taking away our human rights, it's violating our rights as disabled people and it takes away our free and equal choice um, access before the law as per the, um, the Convention of the Right of People with Disability. And when you say forced restraint, can you give some grassroots examples about that? Um, well, when, when I'm talking about like forced restraints and, and, and seclusion, so this is something that you know, I have personally experienced in, in, in my own life and reality, is that is you know, either somebody physically holding you um, it could be security guards, say, in hospital settings where you're, you're physically restrained by those security guards to the ground you're, you know, and then tied down to a bed. Um, you could be held down and forcibly chemically restrained, so injected with um, a medication to make you compliant or to sedate you. Um, so 
you know, restraint is you know anywhere where your liberty is taken away, whether that's by somebody forcibly holding you, um, tying you down, so shackles to a bed, um, or you know being held down and chemically restrained by you know injecting you with a medication. Um, you know that's a form of um, 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 restrictive practice and and physical restraint against that person's will. Yeah, against that person's will. So, under the Mental Health Act, if you you know if they deem that you're mentally unwell, well, then you don't get a choice in that treatment. That treatment is enforced upon you, um, and so they can you know do this to you without your without your consent. Um, and these, and and as I said, this is something that has happened to me, and this happens to a lot of people. And and we think of this as being a barbaric practice of the old days in asylums, but this is happening right now in 2023 in mental health units and, and medical wards. You know, if they if you've got a patient, say, even with dementia or Alzheimer's in a medical ward becoming distressed, they can't consent to the treatment that they're getting, well, things like, you know, restrictive practice like restraints and, and chemical restraints are, are, are things that are used against people in those settings as well that have Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, rather than actually looking at the setting and working out well, what is it that's making this person distressed? How can we alleviate this distress? How can we de-escalate the situation? These settings are simply just reverting to, we just need to restrain you because you know you need to be compliant because that's what we think is the best thing for you. This leaves lifelong in, you know, scars on people, if not causing um, you know, physical injuries at the time of these things being enacted against us. But it leaves trauma on the person. I know for one... I don't think I could ever go back into a hospital again. I'd have to be very, very sick to end up back in a hospital setting again after what's happened to me. And I know this from so many other people that say the exact same thing, that, you know, forcing treatment on somebody in this way is deeply, deeply traumatic. And this is happening to people every single day in our country. Deeply traumatic and and, and a violation of human rights. And also imagine... Uh, having a disability and being in prison, you know, that can mm. also um, have deaths in custody as well. Yeah, well, we have exactly, you know, there, there are deaths in custody. Um, there's people who, um, you know, due to some of these psychotropic medications that create, um, you know, lots of health um, impacts as well. So, you know, people tend to die earlier due to some of these medications that they're then, that they're forced to take, that they're not choosing to take, that the state is saying, you have to take this medication. But this medication is actually shortening some people's lives, yet they don't have a choice in taking that medication. You know, it's really quite abhorrent to think in a country like ours that we can allow this to continue to happen where, let's say, you know, other countries like Ireland and Peru are taking steps to abolish forced treatment, to abolish, um, you know, the use of seclusion and restraint and, and having locked wards um, and, and giving people actual humane and fair treatment and including in places like prisons like just because somebody has committed a crime doesn't mean they're less deserving of compassion doesn't mean they're less deserving of um you know the human rights being protected but then you know we go to people in mental health units um or in um, you know residential settings in disability care homes or as we've seen in nursing homes in recent recent days as well you know the treatment of, of people in those settings you know, unless somebody can come in and see what's going on, these things are happening to people in multiple different settings, and that's what this report really looked into. And abolishing all forms of restrictive practices being a violation of our human rights. 
um, especially when people can't speak up around what's happening. So, um, you know, I can't even imagine what it would be like to be subjected to this and then not being able to tell anyone or if you were able to actually tell somebody, not being believed that this had actually happened to you. Um, it would be a double violation of someone. Um, you know, this does have an impact, whether it's a physical impact and an impact on your health or, or your, your longevity of life or your actual life at that point in time, you know, or it's having a long-term impact on, you know, added trauma to your mental health as well. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the recommendations of the report and then let listeners know how they can get a hold of it? Um, so the report is on the DRC uh, website. Um, so two really, really big recommendations I want to focus on. One is the um, the abolishment of um, restrictive all reforms of restrictive practice, and you know, including seclusion restraint. Um, so looking at supported decision making versus independent, sorry, substitute decision making um, capacity for people. So. Um, you know, guardianship laws, mental health laws. And the other really, really big, important key um, recommendation that came out of this report was the um, um, the need for a restorative justice process and redress scheme for survivors past and present of, of these forms of practices and, 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 and these, um, you know, harms that have been done to them. You know, we can't really move forward unless we actually you know, sort of pull apart and look at and acknowledge what has been done over the years, both historically and present as well. Um, you know, one of the things, and unfortunately with the Disability Royal Commission, is it didn't do a really big deep dive into, um, you know, psychiatric care for people. Um, and we've got a long history with that in this country. You know, it's, it's built on that whole, you know, thing of, 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 you know, of colonisation and, you know, you know, what was brought over here and then enacted on the community, on people that didn't fit the norm. Um, so we really need to look at that as a nation and look at what's been done in the past, look at how these things are still currently happening if we ever want to even envision a future of moving forward um, and, and ensuring that none of these things happen again. We can't rebuild a system, you know, if... We can't be guaranteed that it's not going to be a, a, a copy of what was done in the past. Indeed, and it's almost time to finish. Um, Nicole, do you have any final comments? You've done a very comprehensive summary here. Uh, not, not really. Just that um, you know, just to be aware that you know that um, we think of these things as being something that was done you know years and years ago in the old big institutions that used to be dotted around the state. But these institutions were, you know, were closed. But smaller ones were set up in, you know, around different public hospitals around the state. So the institutions still exist. Locked wards still exist. You know, forced treatment. People are locked in seclusion where they can't open the windows and doors. And their only crime they've ever committed is, you know, even if you had committed a crime, you don't deserve this treatment. But the only thing that somebody's done wrong is that they've got a mental health condition. You have no idea when you're going to get out of these places. You don't know if you're going to get out of these places. You don't know what your freedom's going to look like when you do get out, whether or not you're going to be subjected to community treatment orders. You know, these things have a lifelong impact. And the other really sad thing is that I want people to understand in the community is the stigma of these places follows you for the rest of your life. That record will, you know, haunts us for the rest of our lives. And as a community, we really need to be looking at mental health stigma and the stigma of psychosocial disability um, and how can we shift people's attitudes towards that to be more compassionate, more understanding 
um, and more accepting of um, you know everybody within the community. Thank you so much, Nicole. It was lovely to have you. I think we need to open up a Royal Commission, another one. And (laughs) and we will um, watch this space. Thank you so much. Thanks very much for having me. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. And that was Nicole Lee, who is the President of People with Disability Australia, uh, speaking quite a lot about the Royal Commission and a research report that's come out. Hiroshima Day Rally for Peace and Against Nuclear Submarines, AUKUS and War. Nationwide commemorations and events will be held on the 78th anniversary of the US dropping nuclear bombs on the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Join millions of people across the world in sending a powerful message, never again. On Sunday 6th of August at 1pm at the State Library of Victoria. For more information, you can visit the Facebook page No AUKUS Coalition Vic a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're now going to be speaking with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition. I've missed our chats. Hello, Ian. Welcome to the program. Yeah, I'm Marissa. Yep, thank you. Lovely to have you. Absolutely. Okay. So 10 years, two bloody long rallies calling for an end to offshore detention. Can you tell us what's been going on? Yes, well, in uh, the 28 cities across Australia, actually between the 19th of July and the 23rd of July, there were protests, vigils, uh, rallies. You know, in, in in 28 cities because it is the uh, or it was, you know, the um, 10th, 10th anniversary of Kevin Rudd introducing the Pacific, uh, well, not Pacific Solution, it was the PNG deal aspect of the. Uh, Pacific Solution Mark II that, you know, Gillard had introduced, but it was then, you know, when he famously said, you know, that people who arrived by boat would be sent to Nauru and Manus Island and would never be resettled uh, in in Australia. And it's affected, you know, so many people, everyone who arrived after the 19th of July uh, was liable to be sent offshore and, you know, around 3,000, 3,500, 600 people were, you know, sent offshore and uh, there are still you know, 75 people in Papua New Guinea that we still need to, uh, to, you know, to get to Australia. Indeed, and I think that for memory, Labor has a particular responsibility to end offshore detention and bring those still held offshore to Australia home. Or Can you tell yes, us about indeed. the PNG stuff? Because we haven't really done too much of that on this show so far. Yeah, no, I'm sure it's come up from time to time. It's yeah. difficult to escape it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the way I put it sometimes is it's nearly the last 10 years have been bookended by, you know, Labor government. So you had a, a Gillard and Ed Rudd, 2012-2013, uh, Rudd introduced the PNG, you know, deal uh, with uh, with Papua New Guinea initially, and then it was extended to uh, Nauru. And as I said, from 19th of July 2013, everybody who arrived by boat was liable to be sent offshore. Not all, not all of them were. In fact, it's one of the kind of hidden anomalies. Uh, the fact is that uh, only about half the people who arrived after 19th July 2013 were sent to Nauru and the Manus Island. The other people were, you know, ended up. Uh, being sent to the Australian, you know, mainland, uh, but that's another story. But it's, so the it's bookended. So 2013, we've got a, a Rudd government. 2023, we've got Albanese government. 
Um, Albanese was actually part of the, the, the government in 2013, so there's a continuity between 2013-2023. So there is a particular responsibility. The government, the political party, which actually put the PNG deal in place in 2013 is now ideally placed to end offshore detention. Uh, so we've seen them kind of uh, close... Well, no, they didn't close Nauru. They bought uh, all but two people who are subject to legal cases on Nauru uh, are now in Australia. They've been bought off Nauru, uh, but they haven't closed. They haven't finished you know, offshore detention. So people who arrived by boat uh, would still be liable uh, to be sent by a Labor government you know, to uh, you know, to offshore detention. So, um, you know, as I said, uh, it was great that 28 cities, there were demonstrations to say it's, it is too bloody long. We need to actually end offshore detention um, and also act quickly to get the 75 people who are in a worse condition than those in Nauru, you know, off Papua New Guinea to Australia. And why isn't it happening? Well, I mean, I think the Labor government, uh, you mean, why is it not happening in one respect? I think the yeah. Labor, <laughs> Labor is still very, very, I think it's scared of its own shadow and it's probably even you know, more you know, worried about being attacked from the right, although it's certainly it's, it's, it's tacked to the right. Uh, but uh, I don't think it wants to be do, do anything which would allow the, the LNP or Peter Dutton to uh, you know, attack the Labor government uh, over being you know, soft on you know board, soft on border protection or doing anything which you know, might mean you know more more boats or asylum seekers asylum seekers are going to you know, arrive uh, in in Australia. So I still think they're really just scared of their own shadow. It's why you, I mean you know Albanese talks about being uh, you can be strong on border protection without being weak on humanity. But when you when you actually look at the last year record of the Labor government, they are tremendously weak. You know, on, on humanity. We saw them, one family, the Billa Wheeler family, they made a big song and dance about that, and it was great, of course, for Priya and Odessa and the kids to get back to Billa Wheeler to have, you know, permanent visas. But there are around 12,000 people who are in a very similar situation to, you know, Priya and Nardes, and uh, the government's not, not, not one other occasion has actually signed a bit of paper to actually give, you know, permanent uh, visas to, to the 12,000 who also need. Yeah, permanent visa. So there's been a lot of, I think, uh, pretense on the part of the Labor government, and uh, and no and no substance. We've seen that similarly with the uh, the temporary protection visas. I mean, I'm I'm quite sure that everyone who's on a temporary protection visa will get permanent. But as I'm talking to you now, maybe it's three and a half thousand after the nineteen uh, out of the nineteen thousand have actually got permanent permanent visas. Now they've been waiting. 10 years, 11 years, you know, to actually get, you know, permanent permanent visas, and yet the, the Labor government is taking its good, sweet time uh, for no particular reason. Um, and, and every day that's, uh, that they're forced to wait means bigger problems. You know, family reunion, kids still can't go to, go to school, they've still got, people still got temporary visas when they try to get, you know, jobs or, you know, get a bond and a... You know, and a rental property somewhere. So, um, yeah, there's, you know, the, as I said, there's a lot of talk. Well, there's not a lot of talk. There's been some gestures from the Labor government, but there is so much more substantial things that need to happen uh, if, uh, you know, Australia is going to have a, a welcome refugee policy. But this is indeed a, a national disgrace, Ian. And I'm wondering, can you just paint a little bit of a picture? Where are these people? Are they, they're still on Nauru. 
there are there are two two guys who've got legal cases on Nauru. Otherwise, everyone uh, else has, has actually been brought to Australia, and we're asking the Australian government to do the same thing in PNG. There are 75 people in PNG. Uh, there's nothing stopping them, you know, bringing those 75 to Australia. Then at least they would be somewhere where they could get, you know, some kind of, you know, support where they wouldn't be in, you know, danger as they, you know, often are in the community in, you know, in Papua New Guinea, where they could get legal help, where they could get, uh, you know, the, the support from their uh, communities. They can get the medical help that they've been denied in, you know, in Papua New Guinea. So that's, I think that's one of the big things I think the refugee movement is saying at the moment: get the 75 people off Papua New Guinea bring them to Australia, but we're also saying all the people, and there's now something like 1,200 of them and their families and their kids uh, now in Australia that were on Pap- were in Papua New Guinea or Nauru who are now in Australia, they need permanent visas. The government is still, still not giving them permanent visas. You've got people who've been in the Australian community now since 2014, some with kids now that are almost 10, born in, born in Australia. The government is still saying to them, you have to go to New Zealand, you have to apply for Canada, you have to go to the US, you will never stay in Australia. That's just not, uh, it's not good enough. It's contemptible, really, that the, the government having, you know, treated people so badly for, you know, for 10 years is now still insisting uh, you, will, you will have no life in, in Australia, you will, you will leave. So, so just to clarify, so in, in Papua New Guinea, that's actually like they're detained there. Like they are they in cages there, or are they are they allowed to be they're, loose? They're not in cages. They are they are in you know kind of hotel accommodation. Most, Still, most of the places they've got yes, yeah, so they've got like a wing of a hotel where they've you know there's sometimes there are ten, twelve, fourteen people. It's about you know sort of five or six different places around Port Moresby that people live. So they're in the community at one level, but uh, as of, you know, people probably be aware, it's 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 dangerous for them. I don't think I know Very. anyone in Papua New Guinea that hasn't been attacked out you know outside of their hotels. In some places, uh, you know, rascals have actually broken in and attacked them inside the you know the hotels. Uh, but it's not just the physical danger. The fact is that uh, many of them can't get the mental health or the physical uh, the medical treatment that they that they urgently need. They should be brought into Australia, regardless of their mental condition or their, you know, their medical condition. Um, you know, they should never have been sent by a Rudd Labor government offshore. Uh, they should have been in Australia, and we're going to keep you know, campaigning to get them here. And finally, Labor's claim that they are not responsible for the refugees in PNG has, yeah. you know, what, what, does that, what does this mean that, that they're saying that there's a secret deal negotiated by Scott Morrison to fund the refugees they dumped. Yes, well, this is going to be interesting to see whether there's more revelations come out. There's been some interesting revelations that have uh, you know, come out about contracts, you know, corrupt contracts with Nauru politicians. Um, I'm quite sure there are corrupt contracts with uh, PNG uh, politicians and with uh, some Australian businessmen, you know, to run the detention operations and security operations in you know, Moresby and on you know, Manus Island. Um, but what the Labor government is saying, Scott Morrison negotiated this, six, this secret deal in uh, 2021. Um, they're still a party to it. And uh, But the secret deal supposedly gave Papua New Guinea total responsibility, but, you know, for the yeah, for the the people that Australia had dumped there. I mean, I just I think it's an extraordinary concept that somehow or other you can have lives of people that are just traded between the Australian government and PNG government. Oh well, they're refugees. They need permanent protection. But yeah, hang on. You know, we'll just sign a deal and we'll wash our hands of them. 
Um, but that's what that's what Labor's saying. They're just repeating the same line from you know, Morrison. Not our responsibility, but I think it's the point we discussed earlier. It is Labor's responsibility. A Labor government that Albanese was part of put them there in 2013. The Albanese government can yeah, bring them to Australia in 2023. Absolutely, and and you know we need to understand also that there's people in asylum seekers in in Australia that don't even have permanent visas. No, look, there's so much unfinished business, and and you know we just try to keep making that making that point. When we talk about permanent visas for all, we need permanent visas for the people who were sent offshore. We mean per, we mean permanent visas for the people who were failed by the fast track system that Morrison put in place. It's another thing that Labor says that they're opposed to, but they've not yet abolished it, and they've not done anything for the twelve thousand people who were rejected, you know, under fast track. So we need permanent visas uh, for. People offshore were people uh, who were, you know, failed to, you know, by fast track, um, and uh, that's uh, again was one of the strong messages out of the out of, out of the rallies uh, from the you know, 19th of July, 23rd of July it was in um, in uh, Sydney and Brisbane, 22nd of July in Melbourne. Uh, so we're now looking at the Labor Labor conference is in the the um, 18th. 18th and 19th of August, I think it is 17th and 18th, 19th of August, and uh, we'll certainly be uh, there, there. Will be a motion going to the conference, you know, from uh, Young Labor left, from Labor for Refugees, and uh, some bits of the you know the left in Labor. Um, we've got no great you know expectations. It's going to be uh, carried. Um, we we hope, as we you know have on other occasions, but it's, it's still another indication that you know people in the Labor movement in the Labor Party. You know, are opposed to offshore detention. They're opposed to the turnbacks. They're opposed to the policies that Albanese is is putting in place. And they're just one part of a, a much bigger movement, which is going to, you know, keep fighting to end offshore detention and you know permanent visas for all those in Australia. Absolutely, Ian. Thank you so much for coming onto the pro- program. And as usual, you've outdone yourself. Thanks a lot. No worries. Thanks, Marissa. Bye. Take care. Bye. And that was Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition speaking about the plight of refugee and asylum seekers, particularly in PNG. The fears are Palestinian staffs and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes for fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafirs.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S dot org dot A-U, a 3CR supporter. Ross House has community meeting rooms available for hire at subsidised rates. Perfect for small meetings, student study groups, Zoom conferencing and seminars. Facilities include free Wi-Fi, display screens for presentations, projector and sound system and a Zoom conferencing system. HEPA filter units have been placed in every meeting room. You can book and pay via their website, rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650 
1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter.
Wondering how to pay your donations to 3CR Radiothon? It's easy. You can pay online at 3cr.org.au or call us any weekday with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us exactly which program you'd like your donations to go towards. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Three CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. Three CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers, and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at Three CR. To find out more, go to three cr.org.au and get in touch. Ross House has community meeting rooms available for hire at subsidised rates. Perfect for small meetings, student study groups, Zoom conferencing and seminars. Facilities include free Wi-Fi, display screens for presentations, projector and sound system and a Zoom conferencing system. HEPA filter units have been placed in every meeting room. You can book and pay via their website, rosshouse.org.au or contact reception during office hours on 9650-1599. Ross House is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're just trying to locate Auntie Jill at the moment, who is due to do an interview with the Age Pension Story. And I believe she's in Canberra at the moment, Um attending a conference so we'll see if we can still locate Jill otherwise we can do her next week and so we'll just play it by yeah but in the meantime I'm going to actually read out the article uh, read out an article from the Human Rights Law Centre in a sec um, you just heard a song by Kutcher Edwards and that song was entitled Stand Strong and Kutcher Edwards is is a much loved um First Nations musician, and he he was actually doing a uh, a, a show here at, at some stage, um, and and did this for many years, and yeah, very very appropriate um, in regards to what's been happening lately with First Nations people. It's important to stand strong. So it's approximately four thirty eight, and this is the Doing Time show. In case people have just tuned in. And so far, you've heard interviews with Ian Rintel from the Refugee Action Coalition and an excellent interview with Nicole Lee from People with Disability Australia uh, speaking about um, the Royal Commission, which is a very important topic. So the article that was put out by the Human Rights Law Centre, and I'm hoping to interview Jill either today or next week, is in t- it was on the 12th of July 2023, and it's entitled Federal Court Does Not Recognise Age Pension Discrimination Despite Australian Government's Failure to Close Life Expectancy Gap. 
And the Do and Time show has actually done extensive coverage on this topic. And I've yet to interview Uncle Dennis as well about this. And I'm trying to um, locate him as well for interviews in coming weeks. But we did speak with Narita Waite from the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service uh, last year sometime about this. And there have been a number of court cases the Federal Court of Australia has dismissed the legal challenge seeking fair and equal access to the age pension for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Proud Waka Waka man Uncle Dennis brought the case in which the Federal Government faced court for the first time in connection with its failure to close the gap in life expectancy between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and non-Indigenous people. Despite recognising the ongoing gap in life expectancy, the court did not accept that Australia's racial discrimination laws should give Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people earlier access to the age pension. It comes on the same day as the Closing the Gap annual data compilation report found that Australia is still not on track to meet the target for equal life expectancy by 2031. No progress towards this target was reported since the previous year. The Albanese government has a responsibility to address age pension inequality out of court by lowering the pension age for all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. The current pension age of 67 years does not account for the stark differences in life expectancy and health outcomes for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. It means that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people do not have the same opportunity to retire and receive support through the age pension as other Australians. Equal access to the pension would also support several closing the gap targets. Uncle Dennis brought the case with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service and the Human Rights Law Centre with support from DLA Piper. Proud Waka Waka man Uncle Dennis said, I'm frustrated with this white system. It's not a system of the land. It doesn't give us a say. White people are living longer because they haven't lost what we have lost. As an Aboriginal man, I've seen too many of my people dying at a very early age. We are lucky to get to 50 years old. This case was about telling the truth and asking the government to work together with us to give our people the same chance in life as everyone else. Things will never get better unless the government closes the gaps it created. We didn't have a problem. A problem came here. Our language, our culture and our identity comes from here. It doesn't come from another country. Truth, justice and accountability are important. Narita Waite, CEO of the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service, said, Everyone deserves to live a life with dignity. But this is not possible for our communities who have been left with no choice but to live shorter lives in poverty because of decades of racist colonial policies and a continued lack of investment and change in the systems, institutions and policies that affect their lives day in, day out. Despite today's result, the Albanese government can still do the right thing by lowering the pension age for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in line with their continued lower life expectancy. The Commonwealth Government has spoken a lot recently about Aboriginal communities determining what practical and concrete measures can improve the lives of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Uncle Dennis's fight to lower the pension age is an example of one impactful measure. 
lowering the pension age for our people will ensure our elders have the necessary support to lead a dignified life in their later years and can afford essentials such as housing, food and health care. It would mean our people have a retirement which lets them properly care for themselves and their families while governments at all levels work to close the gap. Jill Gallagher, CEO at the Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation, said, I am disappointed with this verdict, but I'd like to pay tribute to Uncle Dennis for the unwavering strength, courage and leadership he has shown in shining a spotlight on the difficulties many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander face when it comes to accessing the age pension. Vachoe again calling on the federal government to take decisive action and lower the age to accessing the pension from 67 years to at least 50 years for older Aboriginal people. Due to the significant gap in life expectancy experienced by Aboriginal people, lowering the pension age is an important step towards addressing the serious disadvantages experienced by community. Many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders are dying before they are old enough to access a single cent of the age pension. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people continue to be completely failed by correctional systems, education systems and health systems. In this instance, it is our elders who have been let down by the legal system and in the process, the vital leadership role they play in sustaining the world's oldest living tradition has been diminished. Josephine Josephine Langbidden, acting manager lawyer at the Human Rights Law Centre, said, It is deeply disappointing that the colonial legal system has not recognised what Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have long known to be true, that the age pension system isn't working fairly. The gap in life expectancy means that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are being denied the same opportunity to be supported in retirement and age with dignity. Uncle Dennis is fighting for earlier access to the pension until the gap in life expectancy is closed. The Closing the Gap report released shows exactly why measures like this are necessary. The Albanese government should be seizing every opportunity to address the health impacts of generations of systemic discrimination and implementing changes that support closing the gap targets. Regardless of the court's decision, the Albanese government has a responsibility to do the right thing and ensure Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have fair access to the pension. So I hope that I was able to really do justice to this topic and of course we are going to have some Aboriginal-led interviews in the next couple of weeks and Jill is very keen to do the interview and we will hopefully catch up with her either today or next week um, to do that. There's been a little bit of um, a problem um, with her being located. But in the meantime, I will play a couple of announcements and a song. The fears are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes for fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafia to an array of modern designs, 
explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. We're your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kufiyas.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Across the water 
I saw a vision, vision of the devil across the way, and souls of people being led straight. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.52. And we've just heard back that Jill is in Canberra on business and business in Canberra. And we're going to be – I just received an email that we will perhaps do this next week. So she's still very keen to do the interview and we need to keep this issue alive about the age, pension and Aboriginal people. And I hope people found that. Listeners found that article useful, but continuation of this coverage next week. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. Every form of discrimination that exists in our community is magnified and utilised by prisons to cause greater division and disarm solidarity. We've got to really put a lens of perspective on this and know that there are children being incarcerated as young as 10 years old. Police and prisons, they're doing exactly what this colony wants them to. Who do we defend? And who else? Prisons, pull them down. Yeah. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And I wanted to thank our guests for coming onto the show. Thank you so much to Nicole Lee from People with Disability Australia who spoke about the Royal Commission and a research report that has come out in regards to... um, violation of human rights and forced restraint for people with disability and looking at stopping those restrictive practices. Thank you also to Ian Rintel, who is an ongoing guest on our show, who gives concise and regular updates on refugees and asylum seekers and the plight, their plight, and also looking at their human rights and what's going on. And lastly, I read an, you heard an article from the Human Rights Law Centre about the age pension and detailed results from the court about the fact that the gap hasn't been closed yet for Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people about the age pension. And as I said, we will be interviewing Auntie Jill very soon um, about this. So we're going to be going out now with our things song Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And in the meantime, stay safe, everybody. Look after each other. Kindness is not a weakness. And stay tuned every Monday from 4pm till 5pm for the Doing Time show. It's goodbye from Marissa and take care. Oops.
goodness gracious me. There we are. Third time lucky. Welcome to Do It Yourself Radio. Bye. Are real 